That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Last week, I took a trip to Vancouver to visit the set of the new production of Stephen King's The Stand. It's a nine-part miniseries for CBS All Access, the network's uncensored, commercial-free streaming subscription service. A surprising number of people asked me about it, how it felt, did it seem weird to be in this alternate universe of a production based on the same book that I adapted into a miniseries 25 years ago. Well, yeah, it did feel weird, but not in a bad way. It was exciting and fascinating to see the story we told back in the 90s being told anew for the new millennium. New cast, new technology, new locations, new everything. When we did the miniseries for ABC back then, it was an overwhelmingly large project. We shot for 100 days in 95 scripted locations in six states with 126 speaking parts from a 460-page screenplay by Stephen King himself. It was massive, and we were on the road for so much of that time. At that time, the horror genre was rarely served well on television. The budgets were paltry, and the films were made by whoever happened to be available. There weren't really any filmmakers who were passionate about the genre, save for very rare productions like John Carpenter's Someone's Watching Me or Toby Hooper's Salem's Lot. The budget for The Stand was substantial for its time, and we moved through the gargantuan production, exhausted but excited and proud to be bringing King's literary masterpiece to the screen. King wrote all of the scripts, and I directed the entire miniseries, and it turned out to be quite a ratings smash. It was amazingly well-received. But it's a new day and a new group of actors. Producer Josh Boone has written some of it, Stephen King and his son Owen have written episodes, and Boone and multiple directors are tackling it in its nine one-hour segments. No censorship, no advertisers to cater to, and a budget that is multiple times what ours was. And I couldn't be more excited to see how it all turns out. There are incredibly talented people involved in both sides of the camera, and I was thrilled to see how much love and affection they are giving to this wonderful book that started it all. It's clearly not a remake of our miniseries. In fact, there are some very unique and original twists in the telling of the tale that do not have antecedents in the book or our miniseries, some of them penned by King himself. No one is being precious about it. This stand is its own creature and will stand on its own legs, and I'm eager to see how it all turns out with high hopes and expectations. When we did the Shining miniseries back in 1997, none of us, especially King, considered it a remake of the Kubrick film. 
We were making a film adaptation of the book that would rest on its own laurels. And in the case of the newsstand, it's going to be an original take, not a remake, not a reimagining, but its own telling of a remarkable epic tale. And I guess I'll have to subscribe to CBS All Access to check it out. Today we are going to dig deep into the world of independent horror cinema. It's a place that we've been before, but every experience by filmmakers is unique unto themselves. Mike Mendez is a writer, producer, director, and editor, and has a long list of credits in our genre, and is, by all means, one of us. We'll get him on the slab and have him spill his guts, if not literally, after this. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. Jump into the feeding frenzy and buy Crawl today on Blu-ray and digital. Producer Sam Raimi, the horror mastermind behind Don't Breathe and the Evil Dead movies, teams up with director and friend of the podcast Alexandra Aja of The Hills Have Eyes to bring you this year's most intense horror film. Certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes, sink your teeth into over 45 minutes of terrifying bonus content, including an all-new motion comic of the film's alternate opening. You'll never want to get back in the water again. Get Crawl today on Blu-ray and digital, rated R from Paramount Pictures. Well, I just want to take this opportunity to let you know that there's a special going on on Apple Movies, and our film Nightmare Cinema is available for rental for only 99 cents on Apple Music from now all the way through Halloween. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. And if you have, check it out again. So, Mike, like me... You are a native Angelino, or a Southern California native. I am, I am. I have two homes that I feel I grew up in. Uh, Pasadena Eagle Rock is sort of where my family home was, and my family had a restaurant on Hollywood Boulevard, which uh, wow. r- right where Quentin Tarantino like recreated uh, the block in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with uh, Fredericks, of, Fredericks of Hollywood and the Pussycat Theater. That's where we had our restaurant, or the first Salvadorian restaurant in Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where I spent a lot of my youth uh right there on the boulevard so so you went to genre films on the boulevard did you go to the world theater and absolutely and, uh, yeah you know, no the hollywood uh, theater the pacific all that stuff yeah. uh you know i mean a, a lot of great memories of uh, just films in general i mean i i 
you know, I saw Star Wars uh, there at the Chinese. You know, opening I, I, weekend. Opening weekend. Me or, too. I think it was the second weekend. I think it was the second uh, weekend. But I, I was, was there opening weekend. I was four. So, I mean, oh, this, okay. is, this is definitely a, a very sketchy memory. But I do remember yeah, it. I mean, yeah. it's an impactful thing. Um, what else? I, just all sorts of things. I remember seeing The Blob at the Egyptian. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, you know, movies were my life growing up. My, my, my dad uh, came to this country from El Salvador. Uh, and he wanted to be an actor. Uh, and oh, some, really? Yeah. And okay. somehow we ended up in the restaurant business. And that's where he stayed and, and never came close to being, uh, um, you know, in the entertainment industry. But I feel like I'm kind of like fulfilling the family dream and, and uh, you know, started off from there. So um, anyway, but he he was uh, cinema was very big in our house. That was sort of uh, a, a, a inexpensive pastime back then. You could go to a matinee for for three bucks. Right. Uh, so, did your dad immigrate here from El Salvador? Yeah. That, so did he have theatrical roots from his childhood in no, El Salvador? Really, I think the thing was that he just love movies you know uh, and that's what brought him to that's los what brought angeles. him to los angeles it's just that classic like you know just follow the lights and the bright lights and the you know and the dream but it but he never was active about it it never was it's just sort of like some fantasy i'm gonna go to los angeles become an actor right but uh you know he got a job selling restaurant equipment and soon was like oh i should open a restaurant and i guess it was that hollywood dream that that kind of kept him on hollywood boulevard and that's what kind Which of was you know amazing. and that was the closest we got to the entertainment business so <laughs> being on Hollywood, uh, Hollywood. That's, yeah. that's occasionally we'd see actors I remember Muhammad Ali used to come to the magic store across the street uh, and you know all traffic oh yeah would Hollywood stop. magic yeah, yeah Hollywood magic okay. exactly so do you remember what the first genre film was that you saw that hooked you well that hooked me is a different thing I remember the first one that scarred me oh okay uh, and yeah. uh, that was uh, The Hills Have Eyes and uh, The Hills Have Eyes came out in 1976 I was right. born in 1973 oh uh, and I remember seeing <laughs> it in the it yeah, thanks, three. Dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> good parenting. Yeah. Good parenting. Yeah, I don't, but that's the thing. It gave me a career, so I don't know. But but and and I really, <laughs> you know, I've said this a lot, and I, I really wonder if it, if how much of a difference it made in my life. One of my first memories, period, is the canary being crushed and the cannibal wow. eating it. And yeah, I am one cinematically. Uh, I enjoy excessive violence, and I can't help but wonder. Because, you know, if, if one of my earliest memories was this extreme violent act, you know, right. especially as a child, because you have that, you know, identification with an animal. Right. Of um, course. You know, I, I, I think it messed me up a bit, you know, I mean, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a charming way, I suppose. Well, well uh, in a career establishing well, way. Well, I mean, yes. you know, thankfully, I, I would never harm an actual animal, right. uh, you know, but but uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It always kind of. I don't know. It was one of the things I always went back to, and it really affected me as as a kid. And then the other one that I remember very well uh, was Carrie, the ending, mm. uh, the hand coming out of the grave. Spoiler, sorry. Also 1976. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so they were taking me to some pretty messed up stuff. Really? Uh, pretty much right out of the cradle. <laughs> now, do you think it might have to do with your Latin background? Is the, the sanguinary Catholicism that is at the root of so much Latin culture maybe a be. part I mean, of it? Certainly the exercise. Exorcist was a forbidden movie in my house, you know, uh, like, like, you know, I don't know so why. So Crushing Canaries was okay. That but, was okay, uh, but when, the it, when, it, when it dealt was, with El Diablo, uh, you know, that, that was, that was a, a different thing. But, but uh, yeah, for some reason, it was totally fine to go see Halloween or Friday the 13th or any any of those things. Uh, yeah. Alien, oddly enough, was one they wouldn't take me really? to. Yeah. yeah, there was something about the reviews that were saying, don't take children to this. It's absolutely, you know, there's uh. there's really grotesque scenes. And, and that one, they're, oh, 
okay, we're not going to... I'm a little yeah. mad about it, to and be that's honest. that's monster stuff. Yeah, totally, because yeah. really, that's Alien's fantastical. not that big a deal, yeah. and I'm sure yeah. I, I, I would have been fine, but... Uh, but seriously, do you think maybe some of the uh, Catholicism uh, from your national upbringing might have something to do with an attraction that your your father obviously had to the genre as well? I, I would say this, that, that I think the stuff that deals with Catholicism, and, and particularly, I mean, The Exorcist, uh, that affects me a lot more, and I do wonder if I didn't have that background, because I went to 12 years of Catholic school. Well, that's uh, what I figured. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. I, and you also made a movie called The Convent. Absolutely. No, I, about I spent, nuns. Exactly. I've spent a lot of time in churches and in Mass and and stuff like that. So I think no matter what, in a subconscious level, all of it is fantasy to me, but not the devil. The devil, ah, like the devil, real. like yeah. is is uh, that scares me. And and the, the bottom line is that we can't deny that evil exists in this world. Look at the White House. Uh, yep, you know, I'm with uh, you on that. Uh, yeah, you know, and and you see it all uh, all over. You know, hopefully not in everyday life, but you know, evil is real, and so it is some manifestation of the devil. So that's the only thing that actually gets me that gets under my skin zombies really? vampires werewolves whatever it's all monsters all but fantasy satan really does but satan affects me yeah. so what are the satanic films that you've seen that do get under your skin uh I mean, aside it, from the exorcist yeah obviously. i mean you know i'm trying to think how many great devil movies there are but usually anything that kind of goes near that subject matter so rosemary's baby you know oh, is, is a nerve unnerves greats. me at, at, really? at the very mm. least uh, the Devil's Reign, of course. <laughs> I, I just saw the Devil's Reign recently. It didn't quite have the the, the same effect. Oh, the uh, meltdown didn't. Uh, do The it meltdown for was you. great. Yeah. I mean, I did love Orn- Ernest, Ernest Borgnine and, and, uh, and a young Travolta, but yeah. uh, uh, and then I'm trying to think of other other satanic movies that really uh, really get me. Uh, I don't know how many effective ones are there. Though. Well, there's a handful. There's yeah. a handful. Yeah, when it's taken seriously, like in The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby, where it's not treated like a genre film, yeah. but like a drama. The ones that are coming to mind are all mainly in that family. Exorcist Three, you know, right. the uh, Omen. which is great. The Omen, yeah, The Omen was another a good one. one that's great drama. That that and that one got me too. Uh, all the the it's all for you, Damien, uh, hanging scene. Oh you yeah, know? because I think yeah. I was when I saw that I was at the age of Damien, so I kind of understood oh, that. Wow. Kind Kind of feeling of a nanny we had a maid it's not exactly the same but uh yeah. you know latin culture uh but uh <laughs> you know the hanging thing i think was also very effective so yeah i don't know and even even as as you know as you've, you've spent much time at, at my place uh i'm a big toy collector yes. and i have all sorts of macabre stuff all the house around the house but the one thing i can't deal with is anything satanic in my bedroom Really? I do not like that. I had the, these demonic babies, uh, and I'd wake up, and they'd, I'd, I'd wake up to them looking at me. And, and uh, look, I'll have Chucky and Freddy and you name it, like whatever in there. But but if anything deals with the devil, particularly yeah. in my bedroom, you I do not like Reagan that. don't want Reagan in your bedroom. No. I, and funny enough, I actually do have a Reagan in there, but she doesn't. I, that, I think the stuff has been so commercialized and right. and you know it doesn't quite have the same power anymore so i don't you know when i see like a cute little reagan or doll or whatever it doesn't have that kind of satanic thing but it but if i wouldn't have a pazuzu uh, <laughs> like, like that okay. that would bother me you know so well let's talk about the toy thing because that is when you walk into your apartment you are confronted with sure it's thousands of yes. them it's an assault yeah. it, the walls are covered you know there are shelves everywhere filled with these toys is it 
a desire to own the movies? It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of things and I'm sure a lot of it I can't even put my finger on. I'm sure some, some, you know, uh, psychiatrist might be able to, to analyze it better. I, I would say this, uh, things that I can understand why it happens is basically the, the bottom line is I always loved toys as a kid and I never grew out of it right. a- and I became very passionate. And these and are action figures. Action figure statues, yeah. dolls, yeah. you name it, props. Uh, but at this point I'm now several hundred thousand dollars deep in, <laughs> in- into plastic plastic and resin uh no it's a collection and it's a collection and it's it's quite a formidable collection i absolutely could have bought i tell people i could have bought like two lamborghinis or (laughs) or i could have gotten uh you know every chucky ever made anyway uh so uh, so a couple things so i i think there is some weird and i I don't want to relate to to michael jackson but some part of uh his his thing was that he never had a childhood my thing is that i never gave mine up right right, (laughs) it's sort of like no i still consider myself just a very big kid so there's that element to it secondly i always wanted to be a makeup artist uh growing up my heroes i mean i had many heroes i did too when i was a kid i wanted to be bud westmore yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I had many heroes growing up, but but certainly, and this is largely due to Fangoria magazine, uh, you know, there was Rick Baker, there was Rob Bottin, there was Screaming Mad George, there was Tom Savini, you know, they, they were kind of like rock stars, which is unfortunately not a thing that we have in this day and age. And I just love monsters. I just right. love creatures. I love monsters. I love the design. I love the sculpture. Uh, and so the toys are the closest way that I kind of can surround myself with the stuff you love and, uh, and have have, you know, somewhat affordable stuff. Some of it's expensive, but you know, the fact that you can get a, you know, uh, they make, they made at one point the, the Nazi werewolves from American werewolf in London, the fact that you can get a version of that to to have, I mean, that, that's a beautiful thing. And they still do. I just bought a Halloween two figure over the the (laughs) weekend, which is so specific. But again, as as a child, Halloween two was one of my favorite movies. I have this. And I was a publicist on it. Oh, were you really? Oh, that's right. Because again, you're the Zelig of horror, right? Yeah. Yeah, Um, You know, so so uh, I, at Halloween too. Like when I saw it at seven or eight, I loved it. And so the idea that I can now have a Loomis figure at a at a at a Michael Myers with the bleeding eyes and the scalpel as seen in the final thing, like that's that's wonderful to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like an amazing time to be a geek. Because I tell people the world sucks right now, but but it's a wonderful time for geek culture and uh, to be a sure. fan. You know, that's for sure. Yeah. So. As far as making movies is concerned, when did you start? Did you start with a video camera? Did you yeah. have an old Super 8? Did you? It started. Uh, there, there's kind of a two prong thing, and and one of it begins with the toys as well. Uh, well, let me start that. My brother was also a, a huge conduit into my love for cinema. My my dad would bring my brother and me to to um, to movies growing up. And older and, brother, older brother, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was the first to really take uh, a liking to it and start to make Super 8 movies, and you know, and he's the one that went to uh, UCLA film school and really, really took it seriously. So, and in some ways I I think I had a, a hesitancy to want to be a filmmaker because that was kind of his thing growing right. up. Right, you, know, you didn't I was, want to walk in his yeah, shoes. Yeah, I was kind yeah. of more interested in writing and things yeah. like that, and you know. Uh, but eventually, uh, my my dad, uh, thankfully, was really ahead of the curve in, into video cameras, and, and he got those type of video cameras that I'm sure like people would even know what I'm talking about now, where you had you had a VCR that split it's in two. two. pieces, so yeah, one on your and, shoulder. And you literally and one had on, to strap yeah. half of the VCR <laughs> on, onto, your, uh, onto your you know hip, and then... Uh, the camera would shoot it and they were crappy cameras. They would right. really break. If you, if you put a flashlight in the lens, that would blow it's, it out and it would, yeah. it, it would, you know, but it was enough 
for me to stop making first to start making uh, stop motion movies. Oh. Uh, so I would take my Star Wars figures, uh, my Adats and Tauntauns and things like that, and, and with a love of, of Harryhausen, and and I think at that point it was kind of like Clash of the Titans and stuff like that. Mm. I was I was growing up on. Uh, you know, I'd make these very poor uh, because it was very hard uh, to get frame accurate stuff on VHS. Stop yeah, on it was very very clunky yeah. motion things or whatever. And and pretty soon I I, I found like some cheat in school that that I could get away with making short videos and short movies instead of making essays uh-huh. uh, or, or doing things like that. And so I'd, I'd gather my friends and we'd make these short films. And, you know, I think where it really kind of excelled and, you know, look, I, I owe a lot of it to, to just Catholic school. I went to particularly high school, uh, all boys Catholic school. I was a good kid. There was no drinking. There was no drugs. There was right. just nothing that 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 would enter my life much way later. back then. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah oh, okay. but uh, but back then there that was nothing. There's nothing to do. You go to movies. You hang out with your friends, and so. As a, a huge fan, I think one of the most influential movies uh, in my life, really, is was Evil Dead 2. And I think what it was, was that there was a parallel that you could even sense it, even though not knowing it, I'd find this out, stuff later, that they were basically a group of kids that went out into the woods with their camera. And here we were 20 years later, or actually you know, maybe even less than that, yeah, 15 years later, uh, with our video camera, watching what they were doing, right. and there there was just something so relatable to it. And they were inventing things as Absolutely. they went along. And yeah. the excitement and exhilaration of and, that. And and I think we really fed off of their excitement of how they moved the camera, how yeah. they were able to, you know, make their shaky cam because they didn't yeah. have a steady cam, uh, you know, going over the ceiling slats and, and shooting down. And this, you know, not not only was I ex- exhilarated by the filmmaking of both Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Uh, but I was also the fact that it was kind of um, splat stick, you know, right, like f- right. that, that this was horror, but it was funny. And, it was really gross. Yeah, it was really gross. But it gross. was really funny. And, too. and I loved yeah. seeing the way the way an audience would react to that because you know and i i obviously i'd I'd see lots of horror movies and i was used to the screams and the the nervous laughter after the the jump scare and all that but but it was i wasn't used to the howling laughter when when a bucket of blood or a stream of blood wouldn't stop and would hit (laughs) bruce campbell and and it would just you know and i would see my dad laughing about it and stuff like that and that wasn't anything too too common to to see him laugh at something so schlocky you know right and 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 i think it really just form my love for for horror comedy you know that that it didn't have to be just this is a horror movie this is a comedy that that the the meld of of genre blending uh happened there and so as i always say like evil dead 2 kind of was my film school right and uh my my friends and i would watch it repeatedly and we'd try to imitate stuff and most of our stuff and even i'd say even most of my work still to this day Always had a little touch of Evil Dead too. We just love spray, mm-hmm. or I loved spraying blood. Uh, <laughs> yes, and, and that's more the blood. thing is, is, I think I think we all had different influences. Yeah. You know, as a group of friends do, and and you know, it was very much like the Stranger uh, uh, Stranger Things kids or Stand right. By Me. You know, it was that kind of group uh, of friends, and so some were into Monty Python. Um, I was into Evil Dead. Some were into more kind of, you know, Star Wars, um, you know, Spielberg, Lucas stuff. But we all seemed to be okay with with geysers of blood. Uh, And that made me very happy. So let's talk about how Killers came to be. Um, You know, your first movie. 
and it gets into Sundance. Yeah, that that's a, a crazy, I mean, just something that wouldn't happen now, because it was a very different time. We're talking the 90s, so this is the height of Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith, uh, you know, those were kind of the names that were like, you know, independent right. cinema, and Sundance was the the place to be, so I'll back up here. So I, I made lots of uh, stuff in high school and college, and, and pretty much realized that, that what I wanted to do is that I just was really having a great time making movies with my friends, and I just never wanted that to stop so uh i got an opportunity i met a, a filmmaker uh, dave larson who sadly has is, is passed away now uh and he had shot a terrible movie called uh, tears of heaven which i don't think ever was finished i don't think he ever finished it and uh he had spent like three hundred fifty thousand dollars to us indie kids that was a lot of money well, back then yeah is. it uh, still is yeah to the totally yeah. uh and he realized that there was no way he was going to be able to recoup it but he had a, a stack of short ends uh and uh and i was like short ends you say i could make a picture with that uh and- <laughs> short ends to those who don't know are what's left of the film stock that has been used to make a movie they give you the short ends cheap exactly yes yeah. totally and i forget that that's not even a thing anymore you know right. i don't think yeah. anybody uses short ends because if you can afford to shoot on 35 millimeter you're probably not using short ends yes. uh yeah. so yeah so you'd get you know oh we have two minutes here or six minutes here or whatever and uh he kind of gave me the you know the opportunity which i really appreciate still that that like you can direct this he wanted to co-write it and um you know i think at the time uh movies like natural born killers were very big from dust till dawn and so so I, I think we made a very 90s film as I watch yeah. it now because it's, it's just recently... Uh came back on amazon uh oh, it, it's okay. uh it, it, it's a little dated it's a little 90s but but again this was your classic kids uh with just a little bit of money really doing everything they could themselves to to make a movie and uh i remember we shot it here in glendale uh and uh we'd get busted by the cops a lot because we didn't know that you needed a permit to shoot in your own house <laughs> but the thing is we weren't doing ourselves any favors because we were using blanks and you know it's long before the oh put the put the muzzle flash digitally yeah, you know exactly. and, which i don't like anyway so yeah. so you know so there was lots of gunplay and squibs and we were a total like upper class res- residential neighborhood <laughs> so the cops would come we'd hide the guns uh, <laughs> and uh, we did our movie and you know at that point in life you really have no idea where it's going to go or how it's going to be you dream of I think you know we used to call it the Cinderella story of like Robert Rodriguez or something right. like that 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 you'd you know make a movie and someone would see it and then you know all of a sudden you're in Sundance and uh, and it's a hit and, uh, yeah and it's a hit and and I think to to our surprise um, it didn't go like that, but to our surprise, uh, it went really well. Like, and to a point that I don't think that would happen in today's day and age. Basically, we just back then you you, you sent a fifty dollar check and and filled out a piece of paper and sent your movie, your VHS tape to Sundance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was expecting that was going to be it. There was a waste of 50 bucks that we'd never hear from it again. To my surprise, uh, we got a call saying, Hey, you've been selected in the midnight category. And you know, we think your movie's very special. And that was weird. Cause I'm going now from, you know, I think at the time I was like a, like a messenger. Like I used to like, uh, like drive packages to different uh-huh. companies or whatever. That was my semi-industry job because I worked right. for a post-production house as a runner like you know uh, taking tapes over so and you then... do dailies to different yeah exactly uh, yeah, yeah. and you know I was making seven dollars <laughs> an hour or something like that 
And all of a sudden we got into Sundance and, and the next thing you know, you're getting calls from, from Miramax when that was uh, an exciting thing. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my agent, who's still my agent, at IC, uh, who was with ICM at that point, is calling. So you're getting, and again... Uh, so you a, had an agent before it went to Sundance? Like right as it, it got in, yeah. Of, uh, by by the time I, I was at Sundance, I had an agent. But all, all these, and again, it's so funny that now, now these, these are four-letter words, but, you know, but Harvey Weinstein was interested in the movie. <laughs> And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, but at that time, hey, that kid, was... you're my next Tarantino. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the time, that was a, a huge thing. Um, and, and so so probably the most attention I've ever had at one point, and to a point that I almost, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things you wish you could do it all again, because it's right. like, I've never had that much, that many offers, that much interest wow. at one time. And I just thought, because I was a dumb kid, I was 22, wow. you know, I, I, I just thought like, so this is what happens, right? The, you make a movie right. and then like, all and you the, turned everything all the down. Studios, yeah. Not, not far from, let's put yeah. it this way. I, and I, I heard this from, from Landis. I remember when, uh, when after Guillermo did, I think it was right after Pan's Labyrinth or something. I remember hearing Landis tell uh, tell Guillermo, he's like, this is where you say yes to everything. Yeah. Uh, and I wish I heard that advice uh, when I was 22 because I just sort of said yes to everything. Most of it was bad. Most of it bombed. The, the two that I was actually really wanting to get, I didn't get, which was uh, uh, American Pie, because oh, I'm wow. old, yeah. uh, and, uh, and Sleepy Hollow. And Sleepy Hollow, they, they uh, Scott Rudin uh, gave me money to do a trailer uh, to, to get the, the thing. And, and I think we did a decent job we made it for like 15 grand or something like that and then um some young buck named tim burton wrote it and said hey i want to do the sleepy hollow movie and they never took my call again okay, son. Uh, <laughs> and i understand that i get that yep. there it was probably better for everybody um so anyway so so yeah so it was a a total night and day difference of of going from minimum wage job you know this real burnout type jobs whether it be telemarketer or, or uh, messenger yeah. to all of a sudden you know i was getting offers for scripts and i'm movies. a writer director yeah, yeah exactly in all hollywood sudden, yeah. that that petered out relatively quickly <laughs> yeah but but not your next movie the one after the convent also went to sundance that was my that was your very, splat stick yeah that was my very yeah. splat stick of like yeah. hey they're letting me do a movie and and that was the thing and i think it really confused my agent and Hollywood in general that like I was getting offered studio films and again I, I they weren't I didn't feel good about them and none of them really went on to anything. Right. But for whatever reason, in my wisdom, I said, no, I'm going to go do a million dollar, uh, non-sploitation movie because right. they're letting me do whatever I want. And Fun I with get, nuns. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And so I went to make the movie that I wanted to make or one of the movies I wanted to make, cause we all have things that we'd like to make. Uh, and so I went off to do that. And, and I think people were like, why the fuck would you do? You, we, we're offering you $10 million movies, man. Oh. <laughs> and, and now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it probably would have been. A... What's one that you turned down that you wish you hadn't? Uh, Idle Hands, I wouldn't have mind. Uh, oh, yeah, I uh, got offered that one too. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I think that one was going around. I think that was definitely yeah, going around yeah. a, a bit. And I, and I said no because I, I thought I was doing Sleepy Hollow and there was a, a vampire film that very much was before Blade came out, was very much like Blade and Underworld or whatever. Mm. But when those movies came out, I felt like, you know, it's just like, okay, I, I don't like, want to do this again. Yeah, I got yeah. I got someone beat me to the punch. Someone took the 
idea of the vampire vampire killer right. uh, with the techno music and the leather and the club kind of thing. <laughs> and like, you know, I was like, yeah, these movies are that. I, I, I feel like I'd be just chasing a trend now. Um, so, but it was a year or two later, you went back to Sundance a couple of years later with, with uh, Convent. With the Convent, so, yes. And, and so, that, that was fascinating because what... Was what, it a different experience? Well, I mean... The movie was received a little bit better, but I think, um, you know, once again, that's the sort of the, the, I don't know if it's still the case. I would imagine it is. I haven't been to Sundance like 20 years now. Um, <laughs> you know, those screenings are not fun. You know, it's it's wonderful, like, when you have a premiere here in L.A. and, and your friends come out and everyone comes out, or, or even a, a horror festival, because those are true genre fans. Right. Those are not true genre fans that are coming out at Sundance to no. see your movie. Even the Midnight Madness crowd? No, it, it is buyers, it is executives, right. it is just the most industry crowd, so they're not going to appreciate your exploding heads quite as much <laughs> as, as, as you'd want them to. Right. They're looking at you as like, okay, we, we have this movie movie in development is he the right guy for it and then of course i do my my homage to 80s b schlock and right. they're like no he is not the guy for this, you know? and, and so uh so yeah i mean it was a lot of fun what the the thing that happened though is that i got kind of discovered by the genre the audience you know by fangoria right. by by you know the the people that were kind of into i remember a, a young ryan turek who used to work for a uh website called creature corner back then like wow. you know wrote about it going like hey this was really great because the 90s and now he's producing halloween now he's producing halloween absolutely yeah. because the the late 90s and the 90s in general as you know was kind of a dry spell for horror you know it's yeah. like there was the 80s was kind of the the heyday and then it wasn't until about scream that people kind of got excited about it yeah again. it's why i ended up doing television a, a, a you know good place we were to able go, to yeah. make really great horror stuff for tv that had never been done before whereas the theatrical horror was really not blooming at that time and the theatrical horror that was getting made was not that interesting to me because yeah. we're i mean there's scream and scream is fabulous yeah. i'm not right. going to say a crossword about that it's a fantastic movie but then you get the uh i know what you did last summers and urban legends which was these kind of like almost tv cw kind of like yeah. uh you know kind of like you know basically like the dawson's creek type thing which is figures so it's kevin williamson right. uh you know just sort of made into into slasher films and that and they were pg-13 it right. wasn't the kind of thing that excited me. They weren't right? groundbreaking. No, in, and, and, in the, in the and people sense of, of pushing the boundaries. Absolutely, people yeah. look at them fondly now, but yeah. but I don't know at the time that it's just you know I barely even wanted to go see them, you know. So so. But uh, what was the reaction to Convent? Did you have? Were you getting all the calls that you'd gotten after no, Killers? Not at all. So not it was at a all. totally different experience. It's a totally different experience. I think I got one job offer uh, for a film that n never ended up happening, uh, getting getting made, which was a bummer because it's a very cool movie, but. But, you know, uh, as I think you've been experiencing quite a bit with Nightmare Cinema and all that stuff, you got to enter the festival world and you got, right. you know, and, and you know, this this was great. I was a little older then. I was 25 at this point. But, you know, I got to travel the world and I got to, you know, go to Belgium and Switzerland and, you know, Japan and, you know, and be there with your film. And that's a glorious thing then you go back to your life of poverty and your <laughs> yes. in your Burbank apartment but but uh you know but but it was great to to really ex you know it expanded my horizons you know I yeah. saw there was a world and, and more so I got in touch with the fact that there is a, an entire uh you know I don't want to there's an entire you know group around the world that loves this stuff as much as we do right. and I think that was really great to kind of be able to to 
you know, get to know those people, know that they exist, that no matter where in the world you could get a theater full of, of diehard genre fans and the reactions were generally going to be about the same. I mean, you know, it's one thing, as I'm sure you've experienced, it's fascinating to see how different cultures react to horror movies slightly mm-hmm. differently. The Japanese will not say a word. And I thought right. I, I, I wanted to die after like, you my, think my, they're my, hating. Your I movie. thought they hated the movie. I mean, they didn't say a word and that, and that it's a big uh, ovation afterwards. Uh, but, but it, that was really great to know that it's like, you know, that feeling of like, I'm not alone. There are other people out there. Uh, it's a very know. loving community. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? An embracing community. They, because it's made up of mostly outsiders in the first place. You right, know? totally. So so that was, that was great. So even though it did not do anything for me in Hollywood, uh, it opened up, uh, you know, a connection with me and the fans, and, and I kind of put me on the map more so than my first film did in the genre world. But Convent got out in front of an audience in a way that Killers did not. Yes, absolutely. Yes, that is, is totally true, because uh, that one got picked up by Lionsgate, right. uh, and I think it had a small theatrical uh but more so you know uh, yeah and that's i mean that's the wonderful thing about genre films that i don't think is quite true they really have a life you know i I usually spend 10 years after every movie thinking it was an absolute failure and jesus i screwed it up and then you find out like no people actually like the movie and actually now there's a kind of a fan base for it and then they uh, still watch it uh, yeah Yeah. totally and 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 it's true on many levels uh you know but you see it like at the top with like john carpenter you know like all of his films were not really i mean a few were appreciated when they came out but most of them it took time and and i i i can relate to that on a much smaller level of course but but i can relate to that of like you feel like fuck you know I, I i you know i made this movie it's it's barely getting released no one seems to care and then 10 years later they're still talking about it it's being re-released it's getting and packaged in a different way you've got yeah you totally know, physical they, media all of that that keeps it alive and a genre a, a genre that has a fan base that wants to own what they love totally which is great yeah. you know they they're not like other genre this genre in particular really values the ownership of that. They feel personal about the movies that they care for. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. So that was great. And, and so, yeah, so I, I have a lot of affinity for the con, but it also introduced me to a lot of my favorite people in, in, you know, who are still my close friends, uh, Axel, uh, Carolyn, who, yeah. uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, she was in Belgium as a fan, uh, at the Brussels film festival. That's, That's where the, I met her. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, totally. Uh, and, uh, James Wan is one of my closest friends. Uh, he was a big fan of the movie and, you know, and, and so, so, that movie really, even though it's not a super well-known for a film, uh, for me, it, it changed my life. You know, I mean, I right. guess every movie changes your life to a certain degree, but that one really, you know, still to this day, uh, there, there are like, you know, there's a path that I can, that I can track. That, and you became a professional filmmaker yeah. in, in a way that you had not before. Absolutely. Yeah. This was a, a quote unquote semi-real movie. It was right. different than short ends and your, you your, got paid to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a big difference. Not That's, much, but uh, yeah. that was, that was a yeah. huge difference. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how the world of independent filmmaking, the challenges of that, because it is difficult to make a living doing this. Oh, very, yeah. And 
it's not gotten easier. It's gotten more difficult. It's more streaming, difficult. nobody pays anything. Yeah. Um, and the streaming world is how most people see their consume their films these days. Absolutely. So tell me how that's affected your life. Well, I mean, we're in a difficult position to be in, in, in independent films. It's been dying for a long time. It would could almost be argued that it's pretty much dead or certainly on its last things. Back, Theatrically, certainly. Back, say, when I made The Convent or even Grave Dancers, uh, there was this crazy thing called DVDs uh, <laughs> yes. and the home video market. and uh, That financed Masters of Horror. Oh, abs- I bet. Yeah, because yeah. that's the thing. We had blockbuster videos and we had video stores that would, you know, a blockbuster video, if you sold to them, I mean, that's whatever. That's, you know, 30,000 units or maybe I'm exaggerating, but well, let's say 10,000 units. Right. Um, at 50 bucks a pop, At 50 bucks, you know, you know that that's around. actual yeah. money. And that's just blockbuster, let alone all the international and all that stuff. As that died and out came the the birth of streaming, uh, well, now, you know, so right there just on Blockbuster, you're making 50 grand just on Blockbuster. Now, Netflix, because they're like, oh, couldn't get your movie out on a bigger platform, did you? Uh, okay, well, we'll give you we'll give you 50 grand. Right. Uh, and that's it. For a movie that costs a half a million right, to a million dollars. a million dollars. Yeah. And, and so it, it's much more difficult to recoup. And, and so the number, when I started making movies, uh, low-budget films were, was one to three million dollars uh and that's pretty healthy these days yeah that's really healthy these days and it was a little different because the movies were a little more expensive to make because of film but now you know i i know many good producers who are doing lots of cool independent stuff but they tell you like you know yeah if you want to make an independent film the number you should be looking at is like two to four hundred thousand yeah and how the hell you're gonna make a living how do you pay a cast how do you pay a director how do you pay for a script with a budget like with that? a budget like that yeah. you have to do it yourself and and again that's fine when you're 25 it's even fine when you're 30 <laughs> yeah. i'm in my mid 40s i i i've not i'm just a little tired of the like all right we're gonna scrap together a crew and we're gonna come over and we're gonna shoot in my you know my friend's garage you know that 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 gets very old so so at least for myself what what i've i i've just I don't know. I, I certainly wouldn't say that the passion is gone because I certainly love movies and I love making films. But I just uh, basically what what it means to direct a movie at this point. I hope it changes. It means going broke, and <laughs> so and, and I, I've gone broke many times in my life. Pretty much every time I make a film, what what I end up doing is that I'll make a film. I'll be completely broke when it's done, and by the time it premieres, I will grab any job I can, which is usually editing a film because that's that's a skill set I taught myself and I know how to do. I'll get myself back into the black, and then another film will come my way just to decimate to my uh, my bank account again. Right. Um, and so, I, but there are television has been a big savior too, like with Big Ass Spider and Don't Kill It. To, you to know, a certain degree, you know. I mean, I, I still make very little money directing. I still yeah. make a, a, a you know, I am dying to cross over into television, uh, yeah. you know, and and actually, you know, work there. Well, even what though was it's the deal with Beavis and Butthead. Because but I was just an editor. I worked with Mike oh, Judge, okay. um, you know, doing that. And those look, I love, I I love working with other filmmakers. You mm-hmm. know, uh, that, well, that, look, we got to know each other really well by doing Nightmare Cinema together, the yeah. movie that you edited. Totally. And I knew you as a filmmaker, as a writer director. I had no idea that you also edited other people's movies. It, it was a, it's a, it's a, a side job that actually, for better or worse, for me has been far more profitable <laughs> than directing films. Yeah. Um, 
I think I did okay when I wrote movies. Like I occasionally I'd write one, and when you write, when you set a, sell a WJ, you know, minimum script, that's a, a good payday. Right. But you know, but the the movies tend to pay me like twenty five grand or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and so at some point, for better or worse, and I th- I'm not I'm not regretting this decision too much yet. For some, I, I kind of realized, look, I can make pretty much the same money by sitting at home and working with my friends and helping them make their movies. And I kind of, and I think I've become too comfortable with it yeah. uh, because, I, you know, it's, sometimes it's great when, when I get to work with you or Joe Dante or, you know, Nightmare Cinema was awesome. I got to work with horror legends and, and we were making horror movies and it was fun and I had a great time and I have zero problem doing that. That's yeah. great. Well, it but, was a great experience working with you because you would take on the personality of each of the different filmmakers sure, yeah, you know, totally. the work was totally different for each of the well you did four of the five segments yeah absolutely yeah. and I, I learned this through Tales of Halloween and Nightmare Cinema and even as I work with other things every filmmaker works very differently yeah. everyone's got a different style it's fascinating you are the most prepared director I've ever worked with really that uh, surprises by far, me by far wow. uh, you know because you have you have you know the your shot list and, and the atmosphere that's supposed to be there and description of what the scenes are it's, it's really fascinating while well, well, others, I won't name names, not necessarily from Nightmare Cinema, are more just kind of like, all right, uh, get two cameras and shoot all that stuff. And right. just, here's a bunch of footage, you <laughs> yeah. know. And, 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 it's, and never say cut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You've got, and and, and yeah. then uh, Joe Dante, who comes from a editing background, is very how would I put it? It's very simple, but, but well, but really thought out. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't give you that many pieces. So there's not that many ways to edit it. Cause he knows what he wants. He knows what he, he wants. In. And yeah. it's, it's just, boom, it just all comes together. And it's just like, wow, that was so easy to edit. You yeah. know? So uh, well, that, that's what it was like to be an editor working for a former editor. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. That it was very nerve wracking too, because, <laughs> because, you know, oh, he's a legend. He's a legend. Yeah. He's coming into my weird apartment thinking God knows what. And <laughs> Can I tell the, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the really funny thing Joe said when he went into Mike's apartment, which is filled with all these toys, was, well, here's a guy who obviously doesn't have a girlfriend. <laughs> I wish he was wrong. It was a joke. It was a joke. It was a joke. No, it was Mike, great. It was funny. And you know, but yes, you, Mike you feel... is quite a Lothario, by the way. So well, <laughs> we well, don't need to go into that. that be but said, yeah. but uh, you know, yeah. but but uh, yeah, it was it was nerve wracking that that he's looking around all that stuff, and then more so, he's over my shoulder looking at every edit. You know, like right. he's he's really paying attention to everything I'm doing, and this is you know, this is was very nerve wracking stuff. But it was great. And there are gizmo dolls on the wall. Next yeah, to totally, him. absolutely, yeah. But no, what what a joy and 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 i love doing that and and i've gotten to i went to south africa to to uh you know a film a series that you're involved with uh, at critters yeah, uh the, the yeah. newest critters well, movie. i'm not involved with the series with this one but yeah. but, but you know but you were there in spirit your film was referenced quite a bit <laughs> um i do all sorts of things i i, I somehow I, i've gotten acting jobs recently which i don't know what the hell that's about but right. i act i i write i produce i edit and i direct uh sadly lately directing's been in the minority and that's going to change next year i right. swear uh uh, because I, I I get caught up working on all these other things, and I really like doing it. The problem is that then Nightmare Cinema wraps and Critters wraps, and then you have two months in your schedule and some shitty 
I don't know, let's say made for TV drama. Let's say there's certain reality net- show. <laughs> let's say there's certain networks that specialize in kind of crappy schmaltzy <laughs> films. One of those lands on your desk and you're so in the like, yeah, let's just make movies. Let's keep doing it. And then you kind of are one day wake up, go, what the fuck am I working on? Yeah. What the, what is this? Yeah. This is, you know, and then, then it's like, okay, I, I need to, I'm, I'm too comfortable. I need to get out there. I need to. So lately I'm actually taking the next uh, three months off to, to write new stuff. Oh great! Uh, and just sort of focus on uh, on you know making my movies again because there are some favorite things that you've done with the fans. Probably one of the foremost being Tales of Halloween, where Absolutely. you were a producer with Axel yeah. on the movie. You directed, in my mind, the funniest, most uh, rollicking episode of the ten. Thank in the you movie. very much. You directed it. You wrote it. And you were involved in every step of the way Absolutely. and putting it together. Tell me what that was like, you being a producer and getting the money and getting it all together with Epic and all of that stuff. Tell me that Th- process. That's, you know, and especially that I've never even thought about that, this and put it out, put it out like this. That was in some ways one of the best experiences I've ever had making a movie and I'd never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> How do you mean? Yeah. Because, okay, the good side is you get to work with your friends and make stuff and, you know, with your friends. Right. The bad side is you have to work with your friends and... Right. <laughs> Even when it's and, not going well. And sometimes yeah. you have to tell them things that they don't want to hear. And yeah. sometimes they will tell you things that you don't want to hear. Mm. And there's this, and, and then, then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of swept up in the drama uh, yeah. of it all or whatever. And we basically got out of this movie unscathed yeah uh everyone is uh well okay there's might be a divorce in there but other (laughs) other than that everyone is still friends uh we're all very proud of the movie yeah uh but but it's difficult it's difficult it's a similar experience to me with doing masters of horror and then doing absolutely uh, nightmare cinema it's wonderful to work with your friends it's also very difficult to work with your friends uh you know because sometimes yeah sometimes you know and i i don't want to it's certainly not a blame thing or like, you know, but sometimes people go over or you wish they did this and, you know, people aren't going to act the way you'd like them to act. Right. You know, the good thing. And, and I, and I really do mean, this is not bullshit. Those were great people that, that, that made those movies. And, and, and I knew, and I always knew that these guys are cool and, and, you know, the, everyone is great and everyone gets along and we'll get through this. You know, there may be some rocky water and there may be some tough times. We're going to get through this because everyone is level-headed, cool people. We also had very limited funds. Oh, very. Yeah. Yeah. And that made it even more demanding than each of these people had to deliver in very tight circumstances. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the entire budget of the movie is $600,000. So roughly we had about $40,000, give or take, you know, on each short. And uh, how do you make a living off of that? Well, yeah, yeah well, that's, that didn't, and I worked a year and a half on, on that movie and I have still have never made a dime. Funny enough, this is where, where, where karma plays in and this is nice you know i can bitch and moan about how i never made a dime off of tales of halloween but tales of halloween got me my first television writing job which yeah. was uh stand against evil on ifc the uh dana gould who was in uh right. tales of halloween uh he later became a showrunner and is like look i i need someone who understands horror and comedy and i, I from your short i really feel that you get it and so that was a great experience well tell me about that experience because it's completely different from any other film experience yeah totally you're part of a, a room i'm part a of the writer's, writer's room. room yeah totally so what was that like for you that, that was really great and, and it was a real 
great way, I haven't done any since, I'd like to though, it was a real uh, great way to get in there because it all seems so mystical to me, like like television show running, I have a better understanding of it now, but I was just like, how do people do that? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're talking about a dozen scripts, you're talking about a dozen directors, you're talking about, you know, all these locations, how does one mastermind, you know, I was picturing like, you know, like some mad genius like Patrick Stewart and X-Men, like with the <laughs> helmet just controlling all these things and and the like showrunner. yeah the showrunner yeah. like you know and and then th- working with Dana and it's like well you you do it by working with other good people and you do it as a community and you do it as a team or at least he did uh cuz he was a wonderful leader and and uh you know the other thing about it is it you know it was a short show it was only 6 episodes mm-hmm. um and so I was supposed to direct them, but but in some ways that they made me nervous because they also shot in, in three days. Wow. Yeah, or something like that. And it's, you know, 22 minutes, you know, that's in three tough. days, it's just like, oh, yeah. oh my God. Well, that's you what know, the they would show uh, guys were doing. Absolutely. Yeah. My understanding was that they would do this thing, you know, block shooting, where where it's like, all right, all scenes in the season that are in the kitchen, oh, God. Uh, we're doing them yeah. now. So here's ones for ep- episode one, here's ones from episode four, here's ones from episode six, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. You know, that, so that that's, was an eye opening experience. Uh, yeah, just television. To, thing, just to yeah. know that they did that. But but going back to the writing room, that that was great. We we don't we didn't have the luxury that a lot of writing rooms have that, you know, okay, we have three months to, to come up with this stuff. It, it was, it was IFC. They, they, they paid well, but, but it was very truncated, like, mm. you know, and so ultimately our writer's room was six days. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. Dana would come in, uh, you know, with some story ideas of what he wanted to see for the arc of the season. And then we would come in with different, demon ideas or whatever. I love the Muppets. And like I mentioned before, I love evil dead. So I was like, well, how about like an assault on precinct 13 where the Muppets, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of attack or whatever. And they're like, great one location, uh, Pretty you know, flexible show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And, um, Dana was wonderful and uh, just really it was very encouraging and uh, supportive and allowed me to, to write the episode. And then, you know, as I watched the season, it was just, uh, you know, again, it felt like hanging with your friends and people are just throwing out yeah. jokes. And it was it's so much it's so rewarding to watch the season, which I think is great. I worked on on season three, which is now on Netflix. Uh, but it, it's like it works. And I see the jokes that we did and the little gags and the little ideas. You see them all throughout the season and you feel like, oh, Okay, I really did contribute to that. Yeah. That that is definitely my voice. You know, many voices, but my voice is in there, interweaved with all these other crazy ideas and voices. And uh, you know, and then uh, and Dana is a far funnier person than I am. He's a brilliant stand-up <laughs> comedian. So oh, thankfully, no he would do yeah. a, a kind of a comedy punch-up on, on all of them. And and you know, the show was you know my episode. I, I feel is very funny. I can't take full credit on it. It's like, you know, there's a bunch of funny people like that were just throwing out ideas. I'm just writing them down and just <laughs> kind of like, yeah, that joke would go that good there. That joke would go there. And, you know, and, and, uh, and so really it was a really wonderful experience. So I, I, it's sadly got canceled after, um, you know, after the third season. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, I hope. This Why a- did you do that? <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh, but I hope the opportunity or something like that comes again because I really got a lot out of it. What are the what's the project or movie that you've been involved with that you get the most feedback from uh, from the fans? You know, it, and I, I feel very fortunate because the internet is very notorious for being a mean, nasty yeah. place. I get a lot of love. You know, it's like I'm not yeah. super well known, but like 
people seem to react well to the stuff and yeah. people are very, you know, they, they, they write me on Facebook or they see me on conventions and, and, you know, and, and so they seem to love, uh, the convent grave dancers, tales of Halloween and big ass spider. I think big the, ass spider, uh, seems to me one of your movies that I hear about the most. Oh, nice. Okay. People really like, that's but, probably the one I'm probably best known for. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and don't kill it. Tell me about your experience with that because that, started out as something that seemed like it could go on a bigger scale. Yeah. Don't Kill It was a a film, a script that came to me uh, from a producer named Robert Yoakum, who I knew back when I was making The Convent. And it was a fun script. It was just this kind of crazy idea, very similar to the movie The Hidden, uh, the Kyle MacLachlan film, uh, where in, in that film, it was an alien that jumped from body to body. This was... A demon that jumped from body to body, but the tr- the the twist was that it would go into the uh, into the body of whoever killed it last. Right. So and it would go on these murderous rampages. So if a cop came out and shot it, it would jump into the cop who would continue the murderous rampage. Uh, and so this was a script that kind of like you know was dangled. Oh yeah, and I, you know I hear this all the time. Oh, we have all the funding. It's it's <laughs> yeah. happening. We'll be shooting in six months, and that is just one of those never-ending projects that like three years later still hadn't gotten made and it's at some point i just didn't believe it anymore you know i just like yeah right okay uh we had ron perlman attached at one point which would have been great that would have been a lot of fun uh and then the next thing i hear is like well dolph lundgren wants to do it and i I love 80s action movies like anybody else i'm like oh dolph would be cool sure and so so i go and meet with him and he seems game for it but i still don't believe it's going to happen and then uh it's not that long it was about three years ago it's uh, almost Thanksgiving. It's like the week before Thanksgiving. And I get this call. And I'm like, guess what? Movie's greenlit. We got the money. I'm like, that's great. Oh, my <laughs> God. I can't believe it. When are we shooting? January, February? And, and it's supposed to be in Alaska. The, mo- the, script, oh, the script was written in Alaska. Yeah. So I'm like, when are we going to Alaska? Or is that where we're going? And they're like, well, no. We get a better tax incentive in Mississippi. Perfect. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, but, but it's movies in the snow. It's like 30 days a night. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have to change that. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, well, when are we shooting? And like, well, we have to be done before Christmas. Oh, and nice. I'm like, but Thanksgiving's next week. Oh. And I'm like, yeah, you need to get on a plane in two days. And uh, oh, how long was your prep? Twelve days. <laughs> I had twelve. And how days. long was the shoot? Uh, seventeen. So basically, wow. that entire movie was made in a month. Wow. Uh, you wow. know, and, and and it's crazy. I can't believe it. In some ways, we would talk about things you look back on and like, how the hell did we do that? <laughs> because we didn't have any locations. We didn't have any cast. We didn't have any crew. When I landed, we had Dolph Lundgren. That's that's <laughs> it. Dolph Lundgren, in Mississippi. <laughs> uh, and and. You know, I you know I'd location scout during the day, and then I'd go watch uh, audition tapes at night. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was finishing my storyboards. I'm a big storyboarder, uh, and and uh, you know we did it. Uh, I, I'm sure the low budgetness and rough around the edges probably comes through in ways that I'm not even aware of. Maybe when I look at it like five years from now, I'll go, oh yeah, that does look really cheap. Yeah, uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a lively one. It's a lively, it's a one, lively one, but it, it's crazy. It's so I, I, owe, I owe a lot of it to Robert Kurtzman uh, mm. because and and again... The K of KNB. The K yeah. of KNB, who was there on the Evil Dead 2 set, so yeah. I, I knew, like, okay, he's he's been around. He knows how to do a, a quick trick yeah. uh, on the fly, and we flew because the whole thing is a we did these these very elaborate massacres mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> where we would have to kill forty people in a 
very short about a time, like two days or whatever. And, and, but he had all these great gags that I absolutely loved. Like he had this, uh, this torso with a foam latex head and he had both a male head or a female head so he can do whatever. Uh, and, and it had an air cannon and then it would, the head would blow up. You'd fill it with blood or whatever. The head would blow up, but then it had magnets. So you could, you could put the head back together ah. again and, and do it again for a take two. It was or like whatever. a crash mobile. That absolutely. You could put so back all together, these yeah. kind of low budget tricks. The other one was a, a guac gun, which I think is best used in William Friedkin's to live and die in LA, oh, yeah. uh, you know, which is kind of this, this, I, as I understand is a guacamole gun from Taco Bell or something <laughs> like that, just with more air pressure and you fill it with, with blood and slime and, and, you know, and grew and, and you aim it at the actor just off camera and, you know, you go bang and then a shower of blood hits them in the face <laughs> and you go. And, and, and so it was that absolute gorilla like filmmaking. And the, again, this is all comes back to the joy of making movies when you're 15 and stuff yeah, like that yes. and you know you have that background you get to be 15 again absolutely yeah. it was it was a go 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 kind of thing so so yeah it's it's miraculous to me that movie exists it, it didn't quite you know i you always hope that that movie that one is going to kind of you know kind of pop the consciousness a little bit more and right. get a little you know it did okay people seem to like it but it's not one that really got out there that much but i like it i think it's fun and, and considering knowing the background of how quickly and how kind of jimmy rigged the movie was i, I i'm just happy it exists you were and, in and out the length of most people are in a tv episode absolutely you know, it's, it's really crazy yeah. it was a whirlwind i mean i definitely you know every as you i'm sure can relate after every production it wins you you're always kind of have that like oh my god you know often you know I, I find that that a lot of filmmakers get sick afterwards because yeah. like somehow the adrenaline and everything keeps you going right while you're making the movie no and, sleep. And, and, yeah. and it's amazing the way the human mind works it knows it just knows like, you're done yeah. you're, and, and just <laughs> collapse <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> and, and so that one I definitely remember walking around like I got kicked in the head pretty hard for a few weeks uh, after wrapping that it definitely and what do you feel uh, like being a director for hire? You didn't write this. Somebody came to you and hired you to direct it. It was a very me project, though. Yeah. So I, I could see where someone would read that and go, I know the guy to do this. There you, you go. Know? So, yeah. so, so it, if anything, I mean, you know, and, and whatever, it, I, I felt that it's a little one note, even from the script. And, and that was the thing is like, look, I don't think this is anything brilliant, but I think <laughs> it's fun. Uh, so I think we can have a good time and, and do it. So and it's got a green light. <laughs> and it's got a green light. Yeah. Hey, well, look, that's the thing. Sometimes, you know, that's all it takes. You know, it's yeah. like I never I really do this part of the reason I edit uh, overlooking. I don't want to work on movies that, you know, I want to direct a movie I wouldn't want to watch or exactly. like be a part of. So, yeah. so, you know, so if it's got a green light and I feel it's entertaining, that that's a hard sell already. You know, that's already yeah. like, oh, you've got my interest. OK, tell me more, you know, yeah. but but because uh, I, I would not, you know, I absolutely could make the pursuit to like, you know, yes, I'm going to direct Hallmark movies from now mm-hmm. on. I hear they pay well. I hear <laughs> yes. I hear they treat their people well don't want to fucking do it that's not what that's not what i'm in this for you know so so, anyway well I hear you've got something coming up that's kind of exciting in a different line of work. I still do. I, I, I always, uh, you know, as you refer to yourself as the Zelig of horror, <laughs> I have a similar feel. I refer to myself as the Forrest Gump of horror. Uh, where <laughs> kind I, of the I, same I, thing. It's kind of the same thing. <laughs> where I find, I'm like, I find myself in situations going, how the hell did this happen? But oddly enough, uh, I, I've been getting acting roles. Yeah. Uh, and I'm about to shoot. I, I'm on an NDA. I can't say what it is, sadly. Yep. Uh, but I... I 
I will be appearing in a, in a fairly large horror movie uh, that that and it's a pretty high profile one that I think will excite people. Uh, I have a small part in that, and then uh, I think I'm doing a, a small independent film that I'm acting in as well uh, in January. That's great. Uh, so. Evolving constantly. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it keeps it interesting. Either you're writing, you're. I mean, I'm hoping right now. I I, I I'm finishing one movie that will not be mentioned right now. Uh, editing. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, once I wrap that up, which should be I, hopefully tomorrow. Uh, I am just taking the time to write and act and uh, just focus on on new projects that I'm not going to be working for anybody else. So you know, so good that, for you. Yeah, so that'll a great be great way to sign off, Mike. Thanks for spending time with it's us. It's an and... honor. I listen to the show, and it, uh, you know, it's, I, I feel you know, it's a, quite an honor to be here. So thank you so much. Uh, Google gobble one of us. <laughs> right. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. Calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.